This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Take time to enjoy each other and to understand the changes you're both facing, because it's not just you, it's also your partner. Talk to them. Talk with them. Be open. You together can discover new ways to be intimate together as you age and as your relationship keeps progressing. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about our sexual health as we age. We'll discuss how to grow garlic. We'll explore cooking with tomatoes. And lastly, we'll find out how to stop self-abandonment. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and the show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm doing fine. And we're going to talk about an interesting topic today that I don't think we've touched upon ever before you and I. No, Uh, I don't think we've gone down this road. We're going to talk about sexual health as we get older because I'm getting older. We're all getting older, and I'm not going to define age, but we're just going to say, I think it's fair to say that there are issues that arise as people age, as it impacts sex, right? Oh, definitely. And we have to remember that although it might be a sticky topic for some people, the big thing is if things are held private just to yourself, it's going to be very hard to overcome them. So I want people to try and at least open up to their partner or their or their health practitioner because both those will try to help. Yeah, I think that's, you know, general advice but obviously good advice. What are some of the issues that people experience as they age as it pertains to their sexual function? Well, as all of us age, which inevitably we will, Our bodies change. That includes our weight, our skin, our muscle tone. And a lot of people stop feeling comfortable in their own bodies. Men, women, they're both the same way. They start to worry that they themselves just don't feel as attractive anymore. And this causes a lot of stress with some people. And it can get in the way of enjoying a fulfilling sex life. And the changes that happen are different for men and women physically. Most of the changes in women happen as a result of a decrease in estrogen levels. With that, the vagina can shorten and narrow. The walls of the vagina itself can become thinner and a little stiffer. And most women see a reduction in vaginal lubrication. This combined causes the 
sex itself to become slightly painful, mm-hmm. in some cases very painful, and it can reduce the intensity of the pleasure. Mm-hmm. Now, for men, <laughs> lucky us, we were lectured by Bob Dole and Pele in the 90s <laughs> that as men get older, erectile dysfunction, or ED, becomes more common. Yeah. And what ED is, is the loss of the ability to have or keep an erection. And in men's, what it does is it can cause you to have on the low end that it can take longer. It may be not as full or as hard as it used to be. Yep. And it on the long end or on the deep end of it is it can not be there altogether. And as if that weren't bad enough, even if you are able to have a proper erection, it may slow down your ability to have an orgasm, and then it may not even occur at all. Hmm. Now, one thing you also have to remember is that despite natural aging and those issues, there are some illnesses and disabilities and medicines that can also affect your ability to have and enjoy sex. Chief among these are conditions that cause pain, as well as dementia, diabetes, heart disease, and depression. And in these cases, you really have to be sure to talk to your healthcare practitioner to work on these underlying conditions, because just any improvement in those should improve dramatically your sex life. And, you know, there are some of the drugs that people take to help with those ailments, which will impact desire, libido, energy levels. You know, a lot of things can impact your ability or your desire to have sex. Definitely, because sex is one of those things that it is almost more emotional and mental than it is physical. So you've got the physical issues, but then you also have the emotional and and mental issues. And those are the ones that can be chiefly affected by medicine. Yeah. And and I would add, you know, there's a sociological aspect to this as well, because, you know, in our society, the narrative is as you get older, you know, there's less expectation for you to be a sexual being. And I think that impacts people's, you know, desire, how they think about themselves, what they think their role is in a sexual relationship as they age. And it's truly unfortunate because as long as you're still breathing, it's one of the things we do as humans. Right. But I actually don't think that's reflected, you know, I'm not talking about pornography, but in media, you know, the way people's relationships are depicted, you know, it's almost, you know, sex among people that are older is almost treated like a joke. And I think that's wrong. I agree with you. And I don't think it's helpful. All right. So I think we've sort of covered all the issues that can arise. Let's now shift gears perhaps and help people out. What do you think? Sure, definitely. Where would you like to start? Well, why don't we talk about the easiest ones? Okay. And the easiest thing to do is to communicate. Mm -hmm. I touched on this a little earlier. Yep. If you want to have an active, enjoyable sex life, you need to talk to your partner. Take time to enjoy each other and to understand the changes you're both facing, because it's not just you, it's also your partner. Yep. Talk to them. Talk with them. Be open you together can discover new ways to be intimate together as you age and as your relationship keeps progressing. Talk about your needs. You can find that different forms of affection can be 
a greater stimulant to your sex life and to intimacy. You've got hugging, kissing, touching, spending time together. Just some people just enjoy that as a starting point. Yep. All of those are intimate acts that can lead to more. Agreed. And there's things you can do sort of from a lifestyle perspective, right? Like, sounds silly, but getting a good night's sleep will give you more energy. Having peace of mind will allow you to be in the moment. Having a good diet and getting exercise means that you're more physically ready. All these things impact other aspects of your life. Definitely, without question. And the other thing is having an open, frank discussion also with your healthcare practitioner because they will have tips They will have ideas because they're hearing this from a lot of people. They know about this. That's one of the reasons you go see them. Cool. All right. Are there supplements that are germane to this issue that can help, do you think? There are definitely supplements that are germane to this, but you do have to be careful. And the reason you want to be careful is this is one of those areas where, especially if you go on the internet, you'll see there's tons of wonder or miracle pills with tons of ingredients that you've never heard of, promising results really quickly and results that are just completely and utter anatomically impossible. Mm -hmm. Now, Remember, you could look at it as a joke and go, okay, that's funny. But you have to be very careful because some of these are quite dangerous. There have been multiple Health Canada and FDA recalls on traditional Asian and Indian secret formula products that in the end were found to have dangerous and quite dangerous pharmaceuticals in them. You want to stick with clean, ideally certified organic well-known, well-researched, and Health Canada licensed products, especially in this realm. Agreed. Now, when it comes to sexual health, sexual performance, one of the big ones is called ginseng. Mm -hmm. And please understand, ginseng is an overarching term. There's multiple types of ginseng available. When it comes to sex, the ginseng I'm talking about is imperial ginseng. And imperial ginseng has been used for thousands of years, and it's one of the most widely researched herbs. The good news is research has shown that imperial ginseng can be a useful alternative in the treatment of erectile dysfunction in men. It promotes the production of nitric oxide, the compound that improves muscle relaxation in the penis, and increases blood circulation. On top of that, imperial ginseng has been shown to fight fatigue and promote energy and stamina. Mm -hmm. Big thing is, the imperial ginseng for this purpose, men only, not for women. Oh, how come? Because what it can do is it can trigger heat increasing and hot flushes. Got it. Okay. Don't want to go down that road. (laughs) Yeah, no, agreed. Then you move on to vitamin B12. Okay. Adequate levels of B12 are required for good sex. Unfortunately, the counter to that is B12 deficiency affects almost half of us. Ah. It can lead to fatigue, low energy, and low stamina levels. All bad things if you want to have sex. Correct. (laughs) Now, deficiency in B12 can also contribute to a lack of pleasure at the time of climax, very specifically. Mm. So taking adequate B12 will boost your energy, it increase your stamina, which can lead to a sex life that's bigger, bolder, and better. On top of that, B12 can also actually increase your libido. Wow, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. 
all of us. So is B12 something you should be taking every day then? I actually do take. I take active B12 liquid daily. Okay. Not just for my sexual health. I also do it just for daily health and energy endurance. And that's one of the reasons I don't do caffeine. Got it. I don't need my morning cup of joe. I have my morning shot of B12. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. One that you and I have talked about in the past is protein. Yes. Protein is a pillar of a healthy diet. Everyone should be taking protein in their diet daily. It's the building block of muscle. It affects your balance, your strength, and your endurance. As we age, naturally our protein intake decreases because of our diet changing. And on top of that, our ability to break down our protein is reduced. So this is why most health professionals recommend that I'll call mature people, supplement with protein daily to maintain healthy muscle tone. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to sex, healthy muscles are good, but specifically, you want whey protein for that. And the reason is that studies have shown that this specific form of protein can increase testosterone levels which in turn aids sexual desire as well as performance and satisfaction in both men and women. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I know that there are some specific herbs that have sort of have a reputation for helping that perhaps people don't know about. So the next one is, is funny because it has a name that really connotes that. What are we going to talk about? Oh, it does. It's horny goat weed. There you go. <laughs> and... Yes, it's a hilarious name that attracts attention every time you say it. Mm -hmm. But behind the name lies a very serious herb. It's a centuries-old herb that's been used throughout Asia as a sex enhancer, an aphrodisiac, and an energizer. Okay. And the way it works is it actually increases the blood flow throughout your body. By doing that... It increases your energy, endurance, and libido in both men and women. And in men, it actually improves erections. Okay. Now, one that many people will have heard of before is saw palmetto. And this is specific to men, right? It is definitely specific to men. And saw palmetto is considered to be the be-all and end-all herb when it comes to prostate health. Yes. These little berries have been used for centuries to help men perform better and to prevent male urinary issues. What they do is they enhance erections by improving vasodilating. Essentially what it does is inside the penis there are these very little blood vessels and in order to get enough blood in to have an erection, they have to dilate. And what this does is sopamento helps that occur. You have enough blood there, it leads to faster responsiveness, increased rigidity, and longer-lasting erections. Good. Now, we have time for one last nutraceutical. Let's focus on the women for the last one. Sure. For women, let's go for Dong Quay, which is known as female ginseng. It's a staple herb in Chinese medicine. It's given to younger women to make menstrual cycles more regular, but... It's also given to mature women to help with vaginal dryness and pain during sex. The good additional benefit is, is it's also said to reduce hot flashes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to explain all of this. 
Thank you very much. It has been my pleasure as always. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss growing garlic on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Recently, Brothers Running a Successful Family Business gave me a call. They've been hearing my commercials for over a year. Why did they finally phone me? Because they had incompletions. Shareholder agreement not done. Wills not done. Tax planning not done. Life insurance for their business and families not done. Most people have incompletions. We complete them. Call me. I'm Mark Halpern, wealthinsurance.com. Wealthinsurance.com. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed. She's passionate about the connection between human health and nature and believes that regenerative gardens can help create food security and broaden ecological diversity. Melissa has been featured on Farmer's Footprint in Toronto Life and has been a guest speaker at Allen Gardens and has been a well-received garden expert online and in person. For more information, you can always visit thegoodseedto.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about planting garlic, which is something I've never planted in my garden. So this is good for me. I'll I'll understand whether I want to take the plunge. I like it. I like it. A newbie. Yeah, a newbie. A new garlic newbie. An NGN. Why should we grow our own garlic? Like, what's the point? That's a great question. So first off, growing your own garlic is very, very simple and easy. Garlic is a long season crop. So it gets planted out in the fall, and then it takes about nine months until you harvest it here in southern Ontario around the end of July. So you kind of set it and forget it. Hmm. The other thing about growing your own garlic is you can experiment and try all sorts of different varieties that you don't have access to in a grocery store. Where would you access these plants? If you're in Toronto, where could you find garlic? So often at the farmer's market, you will have farmers and growers who sell garlic for you to plant. And that's a great place to go because that garlic has been grown in local conditions and is suitable for our climate. So I don't know if you know this, but there are two kinds of garlic. I did not. There's hard neck garlic Mm -hmm. and soft neck garlic. What's the difference? Like, are they two different varietals or they grow in different areas? You're on it. That's it. Okay. So... 
two categories. Hardneck is what we grow here in southern Ontario, and it is better suited for our cold winter climate. And softneck garlic is sort of grown in more temperate areas. And the reason we call it hardneck and softneck is, in fact, because the hardneck garlic has sort of a very sturdy, strong main stem, and the softneck garlic doesn't. One of the other key differences is that hardneck garlic produces scapes. So scapes are this wonderful sort of curly stem that comes up from the plant, and you harvest it, and you can cook it. It's delicious, and softneck garlic doesn't have it. So softneck garlic would be the stuff that's grown in Gilroy, right, in California, where they like an entire area is just devoted to growing garlic? Is, is that what it's like? It is. And it's also, do you know when you see those really beautiful garlic braids? Yeah. That's the softneck garlic. Another way you could tell the difference is that hardneck garlic usually has larger cloves, mm-hmm. whereas softneck garlic has different sized cloves, sort of more of them, they're more dense. So if you're at the grocery store and you pick up garlic, you look at sort of the morphology, the formation of that garlic, you might be able to tell the difference. And from a flavor profile, is like I know you're the garden expert, not necessarily the food expert, but, <laughs> but are they like are they interchangeable in terms of their use in cuisine? Yeah, that's a great question. I prefer personally the flavor that comes from the hardneck garlic. I think it's a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, we're all eating garlic for that sort of pungent savory kick that it gives us. But again, going back to your question about where to buy it, if you do go to the farmer's market, you might find different varieties. You might be able to taste and try while you're there or speak to a farmer about what you're looking for and, you know, your garlic preferences. I think you mentioned earlier that like now is the time to plant it as we're approaching late summer and fall. Is that right? So we plant garlic in the fall. Okay. And that is sort of to give it this time to overwinter. So you're not going to see anything grow in the fall, most likely, unless we have some crazy warm spell, sort of late fall. It doesn't emerge until the spring. Okay. And so practically speaking, like how much depth do you need and, and how much spacing do you need for garlic? So to have a really great garlic crop, you want to plant in full sun, mm-hmm. which is a minimum of six hours of direct sunlight. You want to take your garlic bulbs that you get for planting from the farmer, and you want to break those bulbs apart into cloves. So once you have a clove, you're not going to peel it. You're going to leave that sort of papery skin on it, and you're going to go down about three times the depth of the height of the clove and plant it pointy side facing up. Okay. Do you have to be concerned at all that predators will get at it? as you're planting it like that? Yeah, so that's a great question. In general, garlic is part of the allium family, and we don't have a lot of rodents that kind of want to dig it up and disturb it. So it does make for a really great urban crop. You can also plant it in containers. It does work if you don't have the in-ground space. But again, you are going to have it there for about nine months. So if you're taking up valuable real estate, that's something to consider. And planting, I think I didn't answer your question about spacing, really want to give it a good six inches between cloves, which seems crazy because the cloves aren't that big. But more space means bigger garlic, happier garlic. And the other thing we recommend with garlic is mulching. So what that means is preparing the top of the soil with a two or three inch layer of straw, if you can find it, or even leaves, and that retains the moisture in the soil and suppresses weeds. Okay. Now, if I were to go to the grocery store and just 
pick up some garlic there because I like the flavor of it. Is that plantable or is that a bad idea? I think that's a bad idea, personally. There are lots of great garlic farmers in Ontario that you can order from directly. You can also go to the farmer's market. When we buy garlic from the grocery store, as I said, you may be getting soft neck varietals, which are not Uh amazing for us. And you you don't know how that was grown or prepared. So leave the garlic from the grocery store for your garlic bread and get your seed garlic for planting from a farmer. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought the garlic that we buy in the store or even the garlic that you would buy at a farmer's market that you're going to eat, has it been dried or set aside by the time? And would that impact its viability as a planting garlic? Not generally speaking. When you harvest garlic, you do let it dry or cure with the leaves of the plant intact. And once that happens, you can then clip the stem and you save that garlic in a dry, cool place, just like you would with other onions, maybe in a paper bag in a drawer. And it has a great life. The garlic you're going to get from the farmer, from the farmer's market that you plant, will have been harvested and cured probably end of July, beginning of August, Mm -hmm. and will be going in the ground in October. So is it viable? Sure. Is it old? Not really. Okay. So here's a really stupid question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I premise that, right? So you can't- No judgment. Well, okay, good. That's what I was really aiming for. So garlic, when we grow it, is it a root or is it a fruit? Will the garlic we see be above ground or will it be below ground, the edible part? Yeah, that's a great question. So you are eating the bulb, which is the root part of the plant. Okay. But like I was mentioning earlier, there are other edible parts of the plant. Right. So that hard neck garlic is going to shoot up a scape. If you let that scape develop... It would sort of look like a flower. It's not, in botany terms, a traditional flower because it's only a clone of the plant it's producing. But you can clip that, and we want you to clip that, cook it up. If you let it go, it can impede the growth of the bulb below the soil that you're eating. But if you also let it go, it would develop tiny garlic, which maybe you've seen or maybe you haven't, but they're called bulbils, B-U-L-B-I-L-S. And those could be cooked up like savory garlic. So actually a lot of edible parts of the plant, not a stupid question at all. Okay, but the the part, the cloves, yeah. like the traditional garlic will be underground, correct? That's right. So when you harvest it, it has soil still sort of attached to it. Okay. And when you're drying it and curing it, you're going to leave a little bit of that soil on. We don't even rinse it. We just try to keep it encased in the beautiful papery layers that it comes with mm-hmm. and a little bit of soil. So let's talk about the mechanics. So you taught us how to plant it. How mm-hmm. do we, like, is it completely temporal? Like uh, we hit a date in July or August and it's time to pull it out because you don't want to muck about with it, right? Like you, you can't test it. It's not like a, like a cake in the oven where you can like open the oven and look and see if it's ready, right? That's right. So there's a couple clues. Probably end of June, your garlic is going to send up the scape. And as I said, you're going to clip that off. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, all of the energy in the plant goes south and deep into that individual clove you planted, and it starts to form the bulb, so multiple cloves. And the clue that really lets you know it's time to harvest is the leaves of the garlic will start to turn brown. When about half of those leaves are brown, it's time to pull it, and you'll see that beautiful papery skin is intact, and your bulb is perfect. Can you eat garlic, the bulb I'm talking about now, fresh from the ground, or do you have to let it dry out a bit before it's used culinarily? That's a great question. 
you can eat it straight from the ground. Drying it out is only to create shelf life and preservation. And say in your wildest dreams, Jamie, you had an acre of garlic. Mm -hmm. You could even pull it early in this season, and that's what we call uh, early garlic or sometimes green garlic. And it will have the same flavor, a little less potency, and you could use it as you use garlic, but it looks like a leek. Okay. All right. So for the beginning gardener or somebody who's trying garlic for the first time, like, would you tell them to experiment with maybe three or four plants or, you know, what would your recommendation be? I definitely recommend the music variety that's developed in Ontario and it's grown widely around here. Mm -hmm. And then have lots of fun. Try two or three different varieties. You can, you know, have like a flight of garlic and have a little taste test, have some friends over, just have fun with it. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. What would you like to talk about next month? I think we should talk about spring flowers that are planted in the fall. Fantastic. That was Melissa Cameron. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking with tomatoes. See, it's apropos. We go from garlic to tomatoes on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Are you looking for a fast track program to hit the ground running, speed up your success and build a coaching business on your own terms? You can launch your own lucrative coaching career in two days with the Certified Coach Practitioner Program. This program inspires you to take that first step in your coaching career, teaches you the ins and outs of coaching, gives you unique tools and resources for your client meetings and offers continual support so you can start your coaching career on the right foot. With the Certified Coach Practitioner Training Program, you'll go from being busy with a desperate need for a change to running a lucrative and bankable coaching business that fits your lifestyle. For more information, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Shauna Lindzen is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So we just finished a segment on growing garlic. So this is perfect because now we can talk about garlic's good friend tomatoes, right? Yes, and how to pair garlic with tomatoes. (laughs) Exactly. But before we do that, maybe we should talk about the nutritional value of tomatoes because it's actually significant. It really is. I don't know if everyone's heard of the word lycopene, but it's a phytochemical that is in red pigmented fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. like tomatoes. And lycopene is one of those phytochemicals, which are plant chemicals, that boast a lot of health properties. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, it's studied in terms of men's prostate health, in terms of heart health. And the most interesting thing is 
when you manufacture a tomato, so when you break down the cell walls of a tomato, mm-hmm. you actually release more of the lycopene. Oh, so it's like one of those things, it's contra. Like most people would say, you know, like don't overprocess your fruits and vegetables to get the nutritional value. But in this instance, it's okay. It's okay. So a tomato versus like a whole tomato versus pureed tomatoes, the pureed tomatoes, um, like tomato paste, will have a lot more lycopene than just your natural tomato. Okay. Kind of cool. Yeah, it is. So why do you like cooking with tomatoes? What do you like about them? So if you think about the taste of a tomato, they're sweet and they're tart. So they add such a good depth of flavor to anything. And I also like how it's, if you think about the versatility, like the fresh tomato tastes so different from the cooked tomato or a canned tomato. There's just so many different flavor profiles of the tomatoes, like a sun-dried tomato is very tart, but a roasted tomato has kind of that sweetness to it. Right. You know, for me, I used to, as a kid, you know, I could have tomato sauce on my spaghetti, but I couldn't eat raw tomatoes. It was a textural thing. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. the big ones, like there's so many varieties now, but growing up, our food choices were so limited. You know, there was the big beefsteak tomatoes that would sometimes get mealy if you didn't eat them when they were perfectly ripe. And, and And so like, I didn't enjoy eating tomatoes, but now as an adult, I love them. And, you know, I eat them all the time, but yeah, I mean, for some, tomatoes aren't their favorite. Well, some people don't like hot tomatoes. Yeah. They like cold tomato or room temperature, which is another point that I think they taste best at room temperature. A cold tomato doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever had cold tomatoes. Like most of the time I'm eating them in salads, which means they're room temperature, mm-hmm. or they've been cooked, which means they're hot. Like I, I'm, I guess a gazpacho would, would be cold. I don't know. Yeah, I remember I was at a restaurant once where I ordered a tomato bocaccini type of salad. Yeah, caprese, yeah. A caprese salad, and I remember the tomatoes were chilled, and it just ruined the salad for me. I couldn't enjoy, they probably just cut the tomatoes, put it in the fridge, as opposed, and it was a higher-end restaurant, so I was a bit surprised by that. Yeah. So it, it actually did ruin the experience for me because I, I really wanted to taste the room temperature tomato. So do you make caprese salad? We, I just made one recently for Friday night dinner. We had it. I make one, I would say, at least once a week because everyone oh, wow. in my family, yeah, really likes it. And I like to experiment with the different cheeses. Yeah. Like the mozzarella that's, you know, burrata style or just the fresh mozzarella. I love the texture and the flavor of it. Okay, so burrata, which is where you sort of have like the inside, it's almost like a balloon, right? So you have the cheese Mm -hmm. on the outside and you cut it open and all this sort of milk or cream sort of spills out, right? That's burrata. It looks like a balloon. It's funny you say that. Like it's tied at the bottom like a balloon. Mm -hmm. And then then like the fresh mozzarella, which obviously, you know, it's made fresh. Mm-hmm. I find because they make it fresh, they don't salt it, which means you kind of have to add the salt. Otherwise, it doesn't have much flavor. It's a texture play. I uh, agree. Yes. The one that I made recently, I made with buffalo mozzarella, and that was the big difference maker because the I think there's a higher fat content to the mozzarella. You don't need as much, and it, it's a little spongier than your traditional mozzarellas, so it really kind of sops up all the tomato flavor and oil and vinegar and salt and pepper and whatever else you're putting on it. And that's the key. You just said yeah. the key, the vinegar. So you need an acid, and yeah. you need the salt, the acid, 
and the sweetness. So yes. it it's a really well-balanced plate. I also make a homemade pesto where I put, sometimes I'll do pine nuts, sometimes I'll do walnuts, sometimes I'll do pumpkin seeds or hemp seeds, which it's a good idea if people have nut allergies just to put a seed in mm-hmm. to a pesto instead of a nut. And it also gives the cheese and the tomatoes a really good flavor. Caprese's are great salads for showcasing the tomatoes. So like what I would say is if you're going to do it, you make sure your tomatoes are ripe. You know, I went for heirloom tomatoes just because they look prettier. Like it can be a really dramatic dish if you sort of set it out nicely with the different colors. It's it's quite beautiful. Did they taste good? Like you had good flavored heirlooms? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, with tomatoes, it's hit or miss with the texture. But in this particular instance, you know, we're at high season now and it, mm-hmm. it just, it all kind of worked. So, yeah. Yeah. What else do you like to do with tomatoes? Oh, so many things. If you think about it with different cuisines, there's the French, the Italian, Spanish, Middle Eastern, every cuisine, every different dish that you think about in all of those cultures have a tomato-based dish. So, for instance, shakshuka, which is when you have like stewed tomatoes and then you drop eggs into it and cook them, different soups, or even your basic pasta with tomato sauce. It's super easy to take tomatoes from your garden and just melt them down into into some garlic and olive oil and some hot chili flakes and then add some salt and pepper and you've got a sauce right there. Yeah, I do one with mini tomatoes like Mm -hmm. that and I go with the yellow mini tomatoes and I make that sauce exactly and then my secret ingredient is toasted panko breadcrumbs that go on top for texture. But and, it, and basil from your garden, too. Yeah, I forgot a, to mention that. It's interesting. With that sauce, I go with thyme and not basil. And and, and that seems to work. It, it just gives it a little different. Earthier. Yeah. yeah. It's different. It's, I love roasting. I actually make a fantastic roasted tomato soup where I roast the tomatoes with the garlic and onions in the oven. Mm-hmm. And then I puree that with basil and then put some stock in. And it's just absolutely delicious like it's almost like the simpler the better Mm -hmm. and you just want the tomatoes to shine and the fresh basil to shine and it is interesting that the tomatoes and basil are grown at the same time in the summer right they just go well together i actually have them side by side in the garden oh really i do yeah. Because they might as well get to know each other in the moment, right? Because <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be in my tummy together. So. They're going to date exactly. yeah, before so. they marry together in your tummy. Exactly. <laughs> That's so cute. So I understand you have a gazpacho recipe, and I'm going to defer to you because it's not my gazpacho is not my bag. But. Okay. Want to know something? It's not so much mine either. I okay. When I think gazpacho, I think raw onions, and yeah. I'm not such a raw onion fan. So I would rather have like some raw shallots in there with the olive oil. Oh, and the other thing nutritionally is when you pair olive oil with tomatoes, it absorbs the good properties of the lycopene, the phytochemical I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It helps absorb it better. So you always want to make sure you pair tomatoes, especially if they're broken down and pureed with a healthy fat like olive oil. So back to gazpacho. So I'd rather have a hot soup than a cold soup. I'm not a cold soup fan. With gazpacho, if you do have, like, plenty of tomatoes to use up, you blenderize it with some cucumbers, some celery, some shallot, and you could put a fresh herb like basil, or you could try it with thyme. Sounds good. 
Yeah. In theory, I'm never going to do it. I'm just telling you. Because I don't like this much. For those who are inclined, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm on your side. I'm not such a cold um, soup person. But if you, I don't know, people who like raw onions and tomatoes love gazpacho. So I'd rather have my roasted tomato soup with a cheesy garlic crouton. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, so we have time for one last recipe. Where do you want to go? Ooh, let's think. So with tomatoes... I'm just thinking which direction I go. So I mentioned the, do you know what I actually really like now that I think about it? A tomato caprese toast. So if you toast bread Mm -hmm. and then you can like smear a bit of pesto on it, put some sliced tomatoes down, some cheese, and then drizzle some aged balsamic vinegar Mm -hmm. and a bit of Malden sea salt or flaky, any other flaky salt. Delicious. So that could be a really nice kind of breakfast or lunch if you don't want to um, turn the oven on. Okay, but if you did, I would recommend actually grilling the bread first because I think that's the way to go. If you're going to mm-hmm. if you're going to put the tomato on the bread, almost like a pan con tomate from the Spanish side or a bruschetta mm-hmm. from, from Italy, I think that would be the way to go. Delicious. With and rub a little garlic and olive oil, and you're set. You are indeed. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. What do you want to talk about next month? Let's talk about zucchini. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Yes, summer squash. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to stop self-abandonment on the tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Tracy Segrati has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at SograttiYoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm so happy to be here, and I'm uh, I'm really pumped to talk about our topic today. Yeah, so you pitched this idea of self-abandonment, yeah. and you know, sometimes you flummox me. I don't know what it is about, <laughs> which is which is good because you know I like to learn new things, and this is one of those days. So, yeah. so what does it mean when you abandon yourself? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so this is this is a concept that largely shows up when we're talking about relationships like uh, love, like marriage, that kind of thing. But I think um, more recently in the, the psychological community, people are really talking about it just in terms of things like self-esteem. So 
what does it mean to abandon yourself? It, what it really means is the habit of sort of hiding parts of who you are. This might be your story, your history, your feelings, your values, all in order to either fit in, please others, or to avoid conflict or intensity. And this might mean that you're a bit of a chameleon. And it's not to say that, you know, we don't all have to shift a bit in certain social circumstances, but this mm-hmm. is where there's no sort of core sense of you. Got it. So you, you can know? be you could be anybody. Like it doesn't manifest in personality. You're just yeah. trying to get along and you're changeable and agreeable, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's pretty reactive to the environment. And, you know, the other thing that it can look like is sort of diminishing your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions or even sort of subjugating or or letting go of your ability to to choose because you think that you are less important or less valuable than someone else. Mm -hmm. It also can look like acting in a way that's totally, like, so, so beyond kind of fading into invisibility or becoming a chameleon, it can look like acting in a way that's actually totally against your values. So if you've gotten to a place where you sort of know what's important to you, you know what your interests are, but then when you get into relationship with someone else, whether it's a friendship, business relationship, or whatnot, it's where you kind of, you find yourself automatically going along with things that are totally against what you believe or what you value just so that you can be perceived as agreeable or accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, it can look like also sort of sacrificing yourself to the point of harm, right? Where you're, whether we're talking about your physical health or your mental health, Mm -hmm. kind of that, that archetype of the the martyr, you -hmm. know? Yep. And I think the other common way that I see it show up is in perfectionism. So this is just really where you're holding yourself to this unreasonable standard. And and so, like, if you actually kind of came into the present moment and asked yourself, like, <laughs> what is important to me right now? What does my body need right now? What does my mental health? You might get a totally different answer than what your perfectionist standards are asking you to do. Got it. Why do some people do this? Like, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. You know, most often, I don't want to say everything comes from childhood, but we can find we yeah. can find, we can find a lot of the root causes in childhood, and and typically, you know, not a hundred percent of the time, but typically, this looks like your needs are are sort of not being met by your primary caregiver, whoever that happens to be, or where you're you're abandoned as a child, uh, even in small moments, right? And it, and it sort of creates this belief system or template, if you will for behavior. So if you're abandoned uh, when things are really tricky, right, if you have strong emotions and the person who's supposed to be looking after you is unable to meet your needs, maybe because of their own emotional immaturity, okay, then you never actually learn that, first of all, you need to attend to your needs or that, or, or how to do it because it's never been modeled to you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one, one place that it happens. And The other place is if you're living, if you kind of grow up in a really volatile environment. So, you know, if there's abuse, if there's a lot of chaos, if there's lack of regularity, then kids will often, I mean, they can go in sort of two directions. They'll become a pleaser and they will subjugate their needs in order to just make the environment more acceptable or safer. And this means that they can adapt to many circumstances. This is sort of where the chameleon comes out in people. But it also means that if you're constantly sort of tracking your environment, if you're hypervigilant to all of these different cues so you can adapt just so you can survive it, 
when you're living from that place of survival, you never have the chance to really understand who you are and then to have the develop the courage to kind of be your unique, crazy, possibly weird, but also awesome self. Okay, so if one behaves this way or mm-hmm. is modeled this way, mm-hmm. what are the consequences of that practically? Yeah, so practically speaking, often, again, and, and this is just sort of what I see when I work with people, is there's a tendency to use alcohol or drugs to kind of numb out mm-hmm. in overwhelming circumstances, right? So if you are a person who's constantly tracking your environment, that's really tiring, right? And having to be a chameleon, to abandon yourself over and over in order to fit circumstances that that you feel like you need to fit into in order to survive, it's it's just there's a huge energetic cost. And so one of the ways to kind of dissociate or numb out so you don't have to pay that cost is to use substances. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that over time, you know, those become addictive and they create their own problems. Of course. Yep. It also looks like agreeing to things that you have no desire to ever do, right? And so if you're constantly living a life where you're you're doing stuff that you have no interest in doing, you just feel a little bit enslaved. And that kind of goes hand in hand with over committing, right? Mm-hmm. Just over committing to the point of distress. You know, from a more self-actualized perspective, it looks like giving up on your dreams in order to be agreeable. Perfectionism, which I mentioned, codependent relationships, which are really problematic. I mean, we might have to do a whole show on codependent relationships, Mm -hmm. but this is essentially where you expect other people to really manage your emotions and you feel responsible for managing their emotions. And so you're never dealing with something that's actually real. Because you're trying to deal with what you perceive the other person needs, and they're trying to do the same for you. And that's why it never works. And, you know, I guess the the most obvious is anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now we've identified what it is and how it manifests. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you have some good news for us. This is going downhill. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's see where this goes, Tracy. Uh, so how does one overcome this? Okay, so I guess the first thing I want to say is that this is a process, right? We don't get to where we are today, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50. You don't get here without having repeated a behavior many, many times for it to be sort of entrenched as an automatic pattern, okay? Mm -hmm. So be really patient with yourself. The first, I guess the first step is actually just acknowledging like, oh, wow, I do abandon myself, you know, regularly. Mm -hmm. And so you have to begin by cultivating a relationship with yourself that's really real. So that means you're compassionate, you're curious, you're open, and you want to be open to experiencing all that you are, right? So understanding, okay, well, you know, is there a part of me that's wild? Am I creative? Do I need order? Do Am I really logical or rational? Right? Just learning to really embrace and celebrate yourself. But then at the same time, you want to also learn to be with whatever is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? So this means, you know, if, if we've learned to abandon ourselves when things are tricky in our environment, it means that we're also not able to deal with our internal environment when it's uncomfortable. And so we have to learn to tolerate all the things inside of us that we might not like, like our motivations for doing things. Like sometimes you might do something because you're feeling jealous or because you're feeling insecure. So it's equally important to know this about yourself, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a compassionate way. 
But I, I think the other way to practice being uncomfortable is to, and you don't have any problem with what I'm about to say, actually, yep. is to practice speaking your truth or expressing your needs or just saying what you think and then tolerating how uncomfortable that might be for you if you are a person that regularly abandons themselves. Because if you are that person, what will likely happen is you'll say what you think or communicate your needs, and then you'll instantly want to backpedal and take it back. So that's the pattern that I see. It's like a it's like a ping pong ball back and forth. Like people will step forward into not abandoning themselves and then instantly apologize for it, mm-hmm. right? And be stuck back in the same situation. And so just to know that that's part of the process, but, but you have to keep sort of doing it unapologetically and then just sitting there and holding the attention of the other person going, oh, wait, this is a, a new you. Like, I don't know what to do with it. And it will be awkward at first. Yeah, I would say this person who self-abandons is the anti-Jamie. I would say yeah, exactly. I am way yeah. at the other end of the spectrum. Where, way at the other end, yeah. Where like, I have no compunction about letting people know exactly what I'm thinking or where yeah. I, I stand on things. Yeah, no. So, But it, it's an interesting exercise because I think there's more people like this. I think there are more people that aren't comfortable sort of yeah. asserting who they are and, and how they feel. And I actually do, you know, Without being a jerk about it, I think it's important for people to see the real you and you have to be comfortable with it. Like, I have no issues if people don't agree with me or don't like where I'm coming from. Yeah, I don't really okay, care. So well, I don't well, care. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question then, because I think this yeah. is important for the listeners. Because I agree, there's more people who self-abandon than there is people that are like you. So can you think of, if you could give us like even one thing that contributed to you being in that place where you don't care, right, or where you had the courage to kind of show yourself, like, is there anything that you can remember from your childhood or growing up that actually tipped you in that direction? I remember playing game as a kid, and, you know, like, you would, it would be like cowboys and Indians or yes. cops and robbers or something yes. like that. And, you know, you'd be amongst a group of kids who always wanted to be in one group. It never really bothered me to be part of the other group. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's innate. I really do. I, not mm-hmm. to say that it isn't workable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was it was defining for me. Like, it really didn't bother me to be on my own or to be with a smaller group or mm-hmm. to not or to not share an opinion. I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I actually, in my personal view, is it's who you are. You, you mm-hmm. either are one way or the other, I think. Yeah, I mean, personality is that there are aspects of personality that are fixed. Yeah. But if we notice, right? So yeah. if you are talking about something that that is kind of innate in you, and I think there was something about your environment that also supported that, though. Right, and so that's that's the interesting thing. That my my father was a very strong personality, and I mm-hmm. think he really, you know, I watched him navigate. So I would say that. Yeah, yeah. So then there was some learning there too. Okay, yeah, that that answers my question. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. What do you want to talk about next month? I want to talk about how to get to know yourself, truly get to know yourself. So it's kind of a segue from self-abandonment. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Melissa Cameron, Shauna Lindzen, and Tracy Sagrati. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.